Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm glad that you decided to spend with us this hour of time in your busy schedule for the weekend. I'm sure it's busy. There's all kinds of things happening. Every weekend, it seems like there's something to do. And in the garden and landscape, there's always something to do. I'll tell you, as a matter of fact, what's going on in my landscape is weeds. Weeds are loving these warm temperatures we're having. We haven't had a lot of rainfall, at least in my area. Things are getting dry and dusty. And where our gardens look like they may need, and our special plants may need some moisture, we supply it to them. It's funny, isn't it, how the weeds seem to keep on growing. You know, these weeds can, that's why they're weeds, I guess, right? Because they can handle such rough and extreme conditions, tiny areas where there's not much soil, weeds will grow. Where the soil is dry and dusty, they thrive. And of course, some of these weeds have nice looking flowers when they're blooming, but oh, as soon as they drop those seeds, those seeds just take right off and make more weeds. So I guess we can just admit the fact that in rough situations where temperature is a problem, heat is a problem, and the dry weather's a problem, weeds find a way, nature finds a way to continue to grow and thrive. So weeds are definitely happening happening in my landscape. And we talked a few weeks ago about certain ways you can help prevent weeds, prevent insects, prevent diseases, trying to choke out garden pests before they become a real problem. If we wait months to do something about a garden pest, whether it's a weed or an insect, well, it's only going to get more dramatic. So if you've missed out on that show and, and want to get a, get a hold of any gardening problem before it becomes a major issue, be sure to uh, check out NewSouthernGarden.com. You can find every episode of this program ever on the website. As a matter of fact, last week we answered your questions. The end of the month, uh, the show, last Saturday of the, week, of, of the month, I should say, we try to go to the mailbag, the mailbox, the inbox, the Facebook message, wherever. And we, we want to help you specifically in your landscape. Throughout the month, we like to give you ideas and, and general gardening practices and topics and talk about new plants. And I hope that provides you with some inspiration. But if you've got a specific problem or concern, you can always check us out at NewSouthernGarden.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll be glad to uh, make you a part of the program. 
We love to make sure that we're helping you in any way we can. And even though maybe some of the topics that we talk about don't apply to your space, if there is a problem or some, you need some ideas, some consultation, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to have you as part of New Southern Garden. Now this week, what I'd like to do is to bring up some gardening topics that are quite relevant to the time, to the season that we're in. We're in this, uh, of course, I don't know, some people on the, on the uh, weather stations were saying we're already in summer. I mean, I don't doubt it. The weather has been very hot like summer. And I heard a report that we are 10 degrees above average for this time of year. But whether we still want to consider this <laughs> spring or if we want to go ahead and consider it summer, uh, the month of May, there are several things that we can do in the landscape. And I also wanted to talk about some concerns you, you may have based on the appearance of certain plants right now. So we're going to talk about some of those things later. But I thought that I would share with you some things that are blooming in my landscape. Of course, everything's growing. Not just the weeds, not just the weeds, but you you might remember that uh, me and my wife, our family, we, we moved out to the country in uh, East Hall County, and we've got this uh, uh, great setup, in my opinion. We've got a little pond for water and irrigating the landscape and the garden spaces, and we've got some wooded area, but some open kind of past, pasture areas that we can grow all kinds of things, so we planted some trees already. We planted some shrubs, but we inherited uh, several shrubs, particularly like gardenias and some yopon hollies. Uh, both of these are great, uh, great landscape plants to add right around your foundation, right? The foundation plantings around your house. But we have brought in some things, or I've been growing some things, and uh, adding them in nooks and crannies just to start fleshing out the landscape. Of course, making it, helping to make it our own, uh, put our personal touch on it, if you will. And so I wanted to just talk about a few things that are blooming. Uh, probably you already have plenty of blooms on your roses, maybe particularly knockout roses if you have knockout roses, but they have been blooming for a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks now. And, you know, it's a great thing to see that first rose of the year. The first rose of the year, of course, you know, as we get into the warmer days of early spring, roses are leafed out and they start to, their buds, their flower buds right on the tips of the branches start to swell. They start to enlarge and then eventually in a matter of just days, those buds have broken open and you can enjoy all those beautiful flowers. Now remember, you know, knockout roses are, they've been around for a while now, but they were bred, they were uh, developed in order to give you more disease resistance. Personally, I don't think the knockout rose is as beautiful of a rose, the flower itself, or, or maybe a plant in general, as some of the old-fashioned roses, the hybrid tea roses, the floribunda roses, even some of the climbing roses from yesteryear. And when these breeders were working on them, they were looking for plants that were just really tough plants, could handle uh, the diseases in our area, sort of not need any spraying. They're fairly spot-free, which lately they've been getting more and more spots, I've noticed, uh, just around our North Georgia area. But regardless, the one thing they did not breed for with knockout roses was fragrance. You know, knockout roses from a distance, they do 
they do what they say. They knock you out with a just a flurry of color. Of course, some of the best are the reds and the pinks. Um, the yellow, the sunny knockout is a nice rose, but it's not, it, it fades quickly to white. But regardless, just this flush of color, and they do knock you out when you get a glimpse of them from a distance. But you get closer, and, and there's nothing else but petals. You don't really have the fragrance that those old-fashioned roses do. And I think when it comes to a plant that is fragrant, we need to sort of maintain that. And so, of course, there are some wonderful plants, which uh, you can find at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But I just wanted to mention a couple of things that are, are new, some that have been around for a while as far as roses go. Number one is the Brenda Bella Hybrid Tea Rose. Now, the Brenda Bella Hybrid Tea Rose was a recent introduction, and they too, like the knockout roses, were breeding these roses for disease resistance. So these high, new hybrid teas are very disease resistant, like the knockouts, but guess what? They've got a ton of petals. They've got a beautiful, like classic rose shape, um, uh, flower blossom, just a classic look. And they are very fragrant, just like our grandmothers or great-grandmothers hybrid tea roses. These are very fragrant roses. And as well as another rose called Belinda's Dream. Belinda's Dream is a wonderful rose. Uh, it's been around for a long time now. But regardless, it doesn't seem to have disease, not many disease issues. So it's not like those classic English roses that uh, <laughs> you've got to constantly be spraying. So you don't have to worry about the diseases, but the flower is super large. It's chock full of petals, so it's that classic, just deep rose and rose of petal, uh, rose look. And the fragrance is there. Now, Brenda Bella, Brenda, Belinda's Dream tends to be a climbing rose, so it may ramble up an arbor and hang over the edge of a trellis and whatnot. And so I just want to mention that even though these knockout roses at my place are blooming, and they are gorgeous roses, they don't have as much to offer as some other roses do. So when we when we start to think about roses, we really want to go for those plants that, yes, don't require a lot of maintenance or disease concerns, but also let's not forget about the fragrance that roses can provide. Not every plant in the world is fragrant. Some can be quite putrid with an odor, but the roses are those sweetly uh fragrant blossoms that even though they have thorns we don't mind growing them why because they do provide us with the beauty and that sweet fragrance another plant that is blooming and they have just recently opened this week and uh well probably earlier monday or tuesday but now they are really in full bloom and i see more buds coming out of them that is the foxglove and yes the foxglove is one of those old-fashioned garden plants you know it's been around a long time it's been growing in historic gardens and all over the place. It does come from Europe. But I just had to have some out at my place because I love them. I think they're great plants. They're beautiful. They're very sort of whimsical with those tall spikes of flowers and bell-shaped um, blossoms hanging off on a spike. It really is just an attractive look. And the great thing about foxglove is they can pretty much grow anywhere. You can grow them in the shade. You can grow them in the sun. Now, in the sun, they tend to bloom maybe heavy, heavier, 
heavier, heavier. I don't know if that's a word. But in the shade, they'll do fine. The blossoms may not be as big. They may not be as dense or as full. But you'll still have that sense of whimsy out in the woodland uh, if you do want to grow foxglove in the woods or in shade. Now, the foxglove is, is a perennial. Okay, it falls in that group of plants that does not die in one season. Annual plants are those plants that you plant in the spring, say, and by the time it gets cold in the autumn, their life is over. They can't handle our winters, and also they may have already set their seed, and they're done. That particular plant is done. But the foxglove is a perennial. It comes back year after year. Now, to be more specific, foxglove falls into the strange group of perennials that we uh, commonly call biennials. And biennials are, like I said, the strange group of plants where you plant them, say, as seed. You sow the seed for these biennials one season. And that first year, they produce a lot of foliage. They produce maybe some stems, uh, whatnot. And they're growing. They're building their root system. But they don't actually bloom until the following year. So biennial means two years. The first year, the plant's just growing foliage and vegetative material. And then the second year is when they put on their flower show. And so foxgloves are biennials in that sense. And sometimes, I don't know if it's most of the time, because I hear reports from some folks and uh, in, in my landscape, <laughs> these foxgloves return with blooms for several years before the plant finally dies. But some folks will see that after that first year of flowers, the plant just disappears and it goes away. And so with biennials, sometimes you do have to replace them. So they are a perennial in the sense that they make it through more than one year or more than one season. But like I said, these foxgloves being biennials, they may have to be replaced, which to me is not really a problem because that just means more plants, right? <laughs> so with all that being said, foxgloves, even though they are sort of an old-fashioned plant, they you don't see them very, very often in landscapes anymore. And they're fairly carefree. Like I said, they can go sun or shade. If they're in the sun, they, on dry weeks when we don't have rain, they may need some extra support with moisture and irrigation and water. So you may have to water them. But once they're established, after that first year of uh, growth with a nice, beautiful, long basal foliage, really, you don't have to do much else to them. They will dependably bloom the next year after you've sown them. And in my experience, they continue to return year after year. Well, with all that being said, we do have to take this quick break, but roses, foxgloves are blooming at my place. And when we get back from this break, I want to tell you about another plant that you probably have some of, but they are still, they're common, but they're gorgeous. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. All right, gang, I promise that I'm getting to the main meat and potatoes of today's topic, which, of course, are a couple of uh, things that you need to be aware of this time of year. So very timely. One of them is sort of a task, and the other is something that's happening to the plant and its biology, the physiology of the plant. Plants are changing right now dramatically, and I think that you, if you look close enough, you'll see these changes and it may even be a bit concerning to you because it makes them look kind of funny, maybe even downright ugly. But um, I do want to share with you, before we get into those things, I do want to share with you one more plant that's blooming at my place in my garden. And, and the reason I wanted to share uh, here the first week of May is because this is the time of year when the garden really gets going. Okay, so yes, the yellow bell shrubs, the forsythia, they've already bloomed. They've done their thing. The hellebores, we've talked about that. All that was sort of late winter, but now we're into this early part of spring, and things are really just flushing out and going crazy. So I thought I'd talk about some of my favorite plants out here that are looking awesome this week, so that maybe if you don't have some of these, you might try them in your place. Of course, uh, the first plant we talked about were roses. The second we've talked about were foxglove. And now I want to mention to you the iris. Yes, the iris like the fox, the iris, not the Irish, the iris. The iris like the foxglove is sort of a historical garden plant. It's maybe old fashioned, right? But really plants, they don't go out of style because they provide so much beauty for us with the colors of the blossoms and, and maybe fragrance like we talked about with roses. And so irises are just those classic uh, plants that really can uh, be a long or have a long tenure in your garden. They will last for decades. As a matter of fact, some of these irises that may look a bit wild were probably planted by gardeners decades maybe 100 years ago because they last for a long time now the iris of course is that grass it has that kind of grassy like texture their leaves are upright and they're long and narrow like a sword uh, and they do have that like i said that grassy look and so for most of the year You've got that sort of blue-green upright foliage, which is very attractive, very textural, and colorful. But really, the iris, when it's in bloom, they send up these long shoots and, of course, big, huge buds that can open in a variety of colors, depending on the type you're growing. You could have blues, you could have purples, uh, maroons, you can have yellows and whites, and maybe a touch of pinks. And so the reality is, is iris is one of those plants that really has a lot to offer the garden. 
and they're really easy to care for. When you plant an iris, the most critical thing to do is make sure that the tuber, which really not a tuber, the rhizome, that fleshy, you're going to find that at the base of the, of the uh, iris plant or the leaves, it's going to be this big, fat, almost like a potato look. And that potato uh, is called a rhizome. It's an underground stem. But it does not like to be buried very deeply. Basically needs to be right at the surface of the soil. If you bury it too deep, the plant over time may be able to reposition itself at a higher location, but they may not bloom well for many years until that happens. And so we don't want to bury the iris too deep. We want it planted nearly right at the surface. As a matter of fact, if you can still see the top part of that rhizome pushing up above the soil, then you've probably planted it high enough. Some irises, as they grow and mature and the plant gets bigger and bigger, you'll see those rhizomes right on top of the surface of the soil. Remember, the rhizome is not a root. The rhizome is a stem. And so that stem, it's okay if it's above the ground. It's just this horizontal stem, if you will. So the irises are blooming at my place. We got whites. We got this nice, I mean, it's not quite purple. It is really more blue than purple, and I just love it. Uh, there is an iris that's blooming at the nursery, of course. You can find me throughout the week at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. It's called Siberian Iris, and it is nearly, nearly a royal blue, all right? It is on the purple side, but it is this rich, dark, almost blue. But it does have some little yellow splotches and white touches here and there, and I don't know of an iris that looks ugly, you know? So irises are blooming this week. So just a little update from my garden to yours. Roses are blooming. The the foxgloves have just started this week, and this iris that we have, don't know the name of it, it was here before we got here, uh, but it is blooming. And irises can bloom over uh, the course of several weeks, especially depending on the varieties you have. Some, most irises are going to be hybrids, and so they may get a blooming period or, or blooming time from one parent or the other. So if you do it right and do your research, you could have irises that bloom pretty much throughout uh, the year. So those are some things I want to share with you. Now, I do want to talk to you a little bit about some things you may be seeing in your landscape. Let's talk about this first topic called translocation. Translocation literally means what it says. Trans is different and location is place. So what translocation is on a plant is it's uh, this recycling of nutrition or uh, nutrients and water from older parts of the plant to newer parts of the plant. And translocation is really happening now in the garden and in the woods, any plant, because the plant, as it grows, it needs to reuse some of that nutrition and water that's been in storage. Usually it's in the leaves. Um, and so what you'll start to see is the old growth on the plant starting to turn yellow. Now, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but gardenias are one of the most obvious translocators, if you will. Right now, if you notice on any gardenia shrub yellow leaves on the inside of the plant, that is completely normal because your gardenias are starting to grow now. They're starting to put out flower buds. They're starting to put out new leaves. And this really goes for all plants, to be honest but the gardenias are just very conspicuous with that yellowing of the leaves. So 
a lot of times this time of year, as a matter of fact, I think last week at the nursery, I had three different customers uh, in one day, and then I got a phone call or an email or something. So three to four people contacted me about this ugly, these ugly looking gardenias that were turning yellow. And they wanted to know, is this thing dying? What's going on? I said, it's not dying. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. When you see that translocation happening, yellow leaves on the inside and new growth on the tips, the plant is getting rid of the old to bring in the new. So out with the old, in with the new. That is what's happening while plants are growing. Now, with that being said, we can help these plants a little bit because even though they're going to naturally, they're going to naturally reduce the amount of old growth on them so they can make new growth, whether that's uh, new roots or new shoots and leaves or new flower buds, regardless um, of their, this natural tendency, we can fertilize them now. We should be fertilizing our plants now. We don't want to forget that plants are living organisms and they need certain things to grow. They need light. They need space. They need water. They need fertilizer, which really is nutrients. They need all of these things to grow and develop. And so even though with established shrubs, it's probably not necessary to fertilize. Anytime you see the plant getting rid of old growth, old leaves, old stems dying back, turning yellow, that is a signal that the plant is dramatically changing. And of course, this time of year, you know your plants are dramatically changing because number one, it's spring and this is when things wake up from a cold, boring winter and they start to show activity uh, on their branches. And so spring is the time when you see a lot of this translocation, yellow leaves on older parts of the plant. Now, with that being said, that may continue all year. That may continue for the rest of summer and going into fall, and particularly because, because these plants are always growing through the summer. This is their active growing period. So if you notice your plant going through this process of translocation, yellow leaves on the inside, the older parts of the plant, it may be another time to give them a little fertilizer. And if you're using something that's slow release and well balanced, then you don't have to fertilize them as often. But this translocation happens at another time of year. And I'm going to tell you all about it when we get back from this break. Stories untold come to life. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, if you're just joining us for the second half of New Southern Garden today, first weekend of May, I want to tell you a little bit about what you've missed. Before the break, we were talking about what seems to be a problem, maybe on some particular shrubs or maybe some of your shrubs in general. That is where your plants right now may be looking a little yellow. 
particularly on the leaves towards the interior of your plants. I've been getting a lot of pictures and phone calls and visits to the nursery about this sort of yellowing of plants. And in most cases, I've been able to tell the concerned gardener that what they're seeing is completely normal. You see, when plants start to grow, it takes a lot of energy and nutrients. It takes a lot of materials to build new leaves and flower buds. And so what the plant does is it sort of relocates nutrition. It relo relocates these nutrients and water and things that help to make new leaves and make new buds or make new roots. And so they take this materials, these material, building materials, if you will, out of older parts of the plant in order to create and form and develop new parts of the plant. So even though your plant may look a little uh, sick or sad or on the yellow side, as long as the new growth right on the tips of the branches, as long as that new growth is vibrant and green, doesn't have spots, doesn't have water-soaked lesions, as long as it looks fresh, the older leaves can and will and should, I guess, to some degree, turn yellow, turn brown, and fall off the plant. Because the plant recycles very well. This is the term in horticulture or plant biology we call translocation. Translocation. Trans meaning different. Location meaning place. So the plant is moving different uh, sorry, moving materials to different places. Now, before the break, I mentioned that you'll see a lot of this translocation happening in the spring, and particularly in spring, because that new growth that is bound to flush out of the uh, stems and, and leaves and branches, that new growth has to be uh, formed from something. And so, of course, the plant moves those materials from the older part to the new part. But you will also start to see a good bit of translocation happening in the fall time or in the autumn. Because at that point in the game, when we go into, say, uh, September, October, November, when we get late in the summer and pushing into autumn, the plant is growing, but it's not growing above ground. It's growing new roots, particularly. And so what we see is in the fall, that yellowing, that translocation, the older leaves turning yellow and then brown and falling off, it continues. It starts back up. And the plant is sending that nutrition down into the root system to store it, say, for the winter. All right, so the plant is recycling this nutrition. It's, it's sort of like taking your food out of the pantry and putting it on the stove, right? It's being stored in the pantry, but in order to grow either new leaves or new roots or new stems, you got to put it on the stove and get it into action. Actually, I just came up with that analogy. I think that works very well. I have to write that one down. <laughs> but regardless, taking those nutrition, taking that nutrition out of the older leaves, out of the old parts of the plant and putting it into new places. Now, in the fall time, like I said, they're building their root system with those relocated uh, building blocks. And then, with a strong root system hanging out all winter long, the plant can survive 
And then in the spring, it may even use some of that stored nutrition in the roots to make more leaves. So the plant is very resourceful. And the plant is very, um, oh, what is the word? I don't know. It, it doesn't waste a lot. It's very, I guess, resourceful is the word. But the plant knows, well, it doesn't have a brain, so it doesn't really know, but the plant has the ability to recycle and reuse. One of the best recyclers probably on the planet. So don't worry if you are looking out at your plants this weekend and you start to see yellow leaves inside of the plant on the older parts of the stem because that is just a sign that the plant is growing. It's not a sign that the plant is dying. As a matter of fact, not every leaf on a plant is going to be there forever. Some plants drop leaves quickly. Some plants hold leaves for several years and then finally drop them. But the older parts of the plant cannot last forever. And they're being recycled to make new parts of the plant. So I just wanted to calm any fears because I've been seeing so many pictures and, and having discussions with folks uh, over the past couple of weeks about these yellowing leaves and what does that mean? Is my plant dying? No, it's safe. So I don't want you to be concerned. Just go ahead. Anytime you see yellow leaves on a plant, it's probably a good idea to go ahead and start using some kind of fertilizer, getting the plant beefed up, built up so that it can use that, that fertilizer, those nutrients to be green again, to grow new things. Plants are just amazing creatures. I don't know. Sometimes I call them creatures and people look at me funny, but they really are because they are living organisms. And they too, just like we change and grow and develop, you know, I've got a couple of children at home and we've had one fairly recently, just about seven months ago, will be seven months. And he's already changed so much, you know, and the garden does the same. Now, with that being said, I, I do want to transition our topic here and talk about something you can do this weekend if you find that it's necessary. I want to talk about trimming plants back or pruning plants back, particularly revitalizing older plants, older shrubs, maybe trees even. Because, you know, if you've been gardening for a long time, you know, you've planted trees or shrubs maybe 10, 15, 30 years ago, and those plants are no longer little because they've done exactly what we want them to do, and that is to grow, just like we've been talking about all morning. And so in order for us to maybe keep some of these plants in shape, maybe prevent them or discourage them from growing into the gutter of the house, growing across windows or above windows even, there is a kind of pruning that we have talked about before, but it's super timely because it must be done now. Sooner than, do it sooner than later. We're talking about revitalizing or reinvigorating, rejuvenating older shrubs uh, and getting them smaller, getting them into check, but making sure that they flush back out and look good again. So when it comes to this rejuvenation pruning, pruning things to encourage juvenile growth, sort of reinvigorate the plant. We have to do that kind of pruning in the spring. Because when we do this rejuvenation pruning, we've got to make sure, well, first of all, when we do this rejuvenation pruning, we're going to really be hacking the plant back. We're really going to be chopping it back. We're not just trimming the tips, folks. 
We may actually need a chainsaw or a hand pruning saw to cut out large chunks, large stems, and cut it way down to the ground. Now, anytime we do pruning, I know that a lot of people get concerned. But you can check out some older episodes of this program about uh, pruning online at New Southern Garden. And I think that in order to, uh, well, in order for us to calm our fears about pruning, we need to know a little bit more about it. And the more we know about pruning, just like anything else, the less uncomfortable, the more confident we will be in doing what we need to do. So this rejuvenation pruning literally means for us to cut back maybe at least 50% of the plant, if not more, and fertilize at the same time. But we can only rejuvenate. We can only rejuvenate plants in the spring, and here's why. The way that a plant grows is much like a roller coaster. Imagine a roller coaster with me, if you will. When you are climbing, you go to Six Flags, you go to Walt Disney World, you go wherever there's a roller coaster, and you get in the cart, and then it starts clicking, click, 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 and it climbs up the first hill, right? Now, remember, that first hill is usually the largest, the tallest hill that you will have, and that is the case for spring growth. In the spring, it is like that first tallest hill that you have on a roller coaster, You get all this growth early on in the spring. Then what happens when that uh, belt releases on the roller coaster? It slowly drops or quickly drops on a roller coaster. Quickly drops. So you get that first hill, a peak of growth, and then the growth starts shallowing off. The growth starts backing off a bit, but your plant is still growing all summer long. And just like a roller coaster, there are hills and peaks of growth. Uh, but they're much smaller than that first flush of growth in the spring. So when we're pruning plants in the spring, they are going to respond with a super strong flush of growth. Now, I don't care if it's a camellia that was planted on the corner of the house maybe 10, 15, 30 years ago, because usually that's where we put camellias. They are larger trees, well, larger shrubs, small trees, really, and they grow fast once they're established, and eventually they may be taller than the gutter on the roof of the house. And usually when it's little, we planted it too close to the house. So by the time 10, 15 years rolls around, guess what? We've got this huge probably beautiful camellia, but it's just too big for the space. And so if we take that camellia, for example, and literally chop it down to about four inches tall, I know you think I'm crazy, but if we chop it down, cut it down to four inches, maybe six to eight inches tall, in the spring, you will see little tiny buds of growth along whatever was left. Maybe some growth comes out of the root system even. And you will have, in just a matter of of the first season, maybe a second year, you will have a rejuvenated, younger-looking shrub. And this is a good thing to do if you're on a budget and you're looking to redo your landscape. You know, yes, you can pull that large camellia out of the ground and replace it with a young one. But an old root system, a plant that has been there for years to decades, is going to have a very strong and old root system. And that root system can support a flush of new growth, bringing about a smaller size plant, but a very vigorous and healthy and happy growing plant nonetheless. 
once you do the pruning, if you will fertilize, once you've done all this very low chopping down to the ground, if you will fertilize that material, then you, or fertilize that plant, you will see um, the growth on the plant increased even more. And so even though it looks very dramatic, and even though it looks very scary to chop a plant down to just a few inches tall, you will see the plant respond in a very happy way. A plant will respond well in the spring. But I warn you that if you do this kind of pruning, the rejuvenation pruning, later than, say, June, so we're getting into July, getting into August, you will find that that plant does not respond so well to that kind of pruning. And the reason is because, of course, the plant is not growing as much. Remember the roller coaster effect. Spring, you have a big peak of growth. And then through the summer, you've got little tiny peaks of growth. And so the plant just can't catch up to that. So if you need to rejuvenate a plant, be sure to do it now. Now, when we get back from this break, I want to tell you a story about that. I told a lady to rejuvenate her plant, to cut it down with a chainsaw, and it was a funny story. So when we get back, we're going to talk more about this rejuvenating old plants, getting them looking good again. Now lost in the delta. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. All right, all right, gang. Today we are talking about rejuvenating older plants, taking decades, taking off decades of age on your plant and getting them in a younger juvenile state again. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do the same for ourselves? I'll go ahead and tell you that I'm 33 years old. I don't know if I've ever told you my age. I hope. I hope that my voice at least sounds like a wise old sage, but uh, I'm just 33, but I'm feeling the effects of age already, all right? <laughs> I am, and I know you're like, oh, miss some of you are like, just a young guy. I get that all the time, but I mean, think about it. Like, people maybe in the medieval days probably lived to be about 40 years, maybe 35 like, if this was several thousands of, uh, several hundreds of years ago, I'd be a pretty old guy. <laughs> but thank goodness to medicine and the medical industry, they're trying to keep us alive forever. So, um, but taking years off of a plant is actually pretty easy. 
It's actually pretty easy. And we've already talked a little bit about that where we've got to do the rejuvenation pruning on older plants in the spring because if we don't do it in the spring, the plant won't really resurge with growth. Spring flush. You know, we always talk about this word spring flush. We've got to wait for the plants to have their spring flush. The reason we call it spring flush is because they push out the most amount of growth they will in the spring for the entire year. And so because of that, we can chop plants down to just a few inches tall and let them restart over with new branches and new growth and bank on that spring flush. Just be sure that when you do this kind of pruning, you feed them pretty well because when you remove several feet of a plant and big thick stems, you're taking out a lot of nutrition that the plant needs in order to make that new growth. So once it's removed from the plant, they can't reuse all of that good material. So with that being said, there are some things that I do want to to mention. Even though we're talking very generally, we haven't talked about a specific plant. I used camellia as an example because it does rejuvenate very well. But there are some plants you cannot do this to. Particularly, generally speaking again, particularly plants that are in the conifer family. Right. So those plants like junipers and cedars and cypress and pine trees, if you cut a maple tree down to the ground in the spring, it will spring up with several branches and look like a little bushy shrub. But if you cut a pine tree down to the ground with a chainsaw and left the stump behind, it will not come back. It has no spare buds, if you will, in the in the trunk or in the branches. So with conifers, we only prune where there is green. If we ever prune away the green on a branch of some conifer plant, there will be brown forever. There will be a permanent void. So don't do this on your gold mop fault cypress. Don't do it on your cryptomerias unless there's a strange situation that it can handle it. Um, but pine trees or cedars or arborvitaes, we can only trim where there's brown. But camellias, gardenias, hydrangeas, azaleas, you can cut all these things down to the ground in the spring and rejuvenate them. Now, I do want to tell you a story that I was afraid I was going to go to jail or at least be sued. There was a client, I went to visit their house to look at some of their plants, and they had just bought a new house. It was an older house, very nice house, but still they had older plants because it was an older house. And so there was this camellia. To get back to the camellia uh, stuff, there was this camellia right beside the garage. You know it was only planted maybe uh, 12, maybe 10 inches off of the foundation of the house. The homeowner said, we want to keep this camellia, but it was huge, folks. It was pushing over uh, three or four feet into the garage door. It was hanging over the sidewalk, uh, the concrete there, the driveway, I guess, and pushing up against the brick in the other direction of the house. And they said, we want to save it, but can we trim it? And I said, as a matter of fact, you can. You just have to do it in the spring, maybe late winter, early spring. Don't do it past June. And be sure to cut it very low to the ground. They said, how low? I said, well, how low do you want to go? They said, can we go up this high? And it was about 12 inches. I said, sure, you can go lower if you want to. Now, listen, the homeowner's mother lived in the house with her. And the mother looked at me and she gasped. And she said, are you telling me? That if we cut that tree down to 12 inches or lower and we fertilize it in the spring, that it will flush out and it won't kill it. And I said, yes, ma'am, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And she says, well, I want that in writing. And I thought, oh, my goodness. 
I'm going to have to testify in court if this thing doesn't come back? I mean, there is a chance, folks, that plants can just die. So I was really praying that entire spring, that entire summer. And by the time we got into maybe August, guess who shows up at the nursery? The mother. The mother shows up at the nursery. And she says, well, I just want to tell you something. You were right. That camellia looks gorgeous. It's brand new. It looks like a brand new plant and it's growing. It's got these great flower buds coming on that are going to bloom later. And I didn't say what I should have said, which was, I told you so. I told you so. Plants are responsive to these things. By the way, I did not put that in paper. I did not put it in writing and I didn't have to go to court. I didn't go to jail. And the mother, the mother was very happy. So that's just a testimony there, if you will, of our timidity in pruning, right? We do get scared when we start chopping things down. We do get concerned. We think we're going to kill it by pruning. But if you use pruning to uh, signal to a plant to do something different, and you do it at the right time, and you make sure your pruning tools are clean and clear from any kind of disease uh, or any kind of potential pathogen, then you will see that pruning can stimulate plants to do certain things. Pruning plants can really encourage them to do something. uh, Well, we can use pruning to our benefit to get them to do something different. And so I did want to talk today about this rejuvenation pruning because I've talked about it in the past, but I don't think I've talked about it in a timely manner yet. So I knew that right here, we're still in spring. It's still early enough to whack your plants back. Of course, when we say whack, we mean make clean cuts. Don't just go in there with a machete and start chopping things to pieces. We want to make sure that our cuts are clean because when we prune, we wound And with all wounds, whether it's on a plant or our bodies, we want to make sure those wounds can heal cleanly, free of disease. So, rejuvenation pruning is a wonderful thing to do if you're looking to scale larger plants back. You've got to do it in the spring. You need to cut out a large portion of the plant as low as you want to go. You want to fertilize because when we're cutting... um, When we're cutting stems away and removing leaves and and other parts of the plant, we're removing nutrition. We cannot do this to those conifer plants, right? The pines, junipers, spruces, cedars, arborvitaes. We can't do this to them, but we can do it to camellias, azaleas, hollies, hydrangeas, gardenias, you name it. You can do it. So today, I just wanted to share with you some plants that were blooming in my place. We talked a bit about the translocation, which you will recall is that strange phenomenon where plants will drop older parts of the plant in order to create new ones. And then, of course, we we ended with talking about um, rejuvenation pruning. Now, if you missed any part of today's show, check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com, on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, wherever you can. Send us your questions. We'd love to have you join us as part of the program. And so for New Southern Garden and WRWH, this is Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at 
NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.